The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. folks welcome back to the agora podcast as usual this is your home for agorism localism radical decentralization and anti-authoritarian concepts uh, coming at you with another uh, episode with second agora here and uh another guest that we've brought to the table um given that introduction i think that our today's guest is um kind of fits right along lines with some of those principles that we kind of um you know mentioned in in the tagline there um specifically localism and decentralization but i mean we touch on on all four of those of course in the conversation um what we have adrian shepherd from the springtime of nations youtube channel and um also active on twitter if you're familiar with him there uh adrian why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, the key topics that you like to focus on sure um our channel, I mean, I'm just one of uh, a couple people that work on Springtime of Nations. We focus on the concept of pan-secessionism as a global strategy for liber libertarians. And um, what we mean when we say pan-secessionism, and most people understand it as, at least in libertarian circles, is the idea that the more states, the better. The breaking up of large states, especially, and a focus on smaller smaller states creates a uh, creates more freedom just because of a freedom to vote with your feet to move to other places they would like more. Um, Secession is, um, you know, has historical roots in classical liberalism with uh, the springtime of nations that are 
Channel references the springtime of nations 1848, where liberal nationalists um, at least tried to take down most of the great states of Europe. And what springtime of nations would like is if there was a global movement to do like a second springtime of nations, to break down the huge empires, the huge countries of the world, create more polities, and therefore um, increase freedom. Freedom. Okay, that that is both it really interests me, and I can see like a lot of arguments for and against. I think this is going to be a great discussion on that because I think we've all we're all familiar with, regardless of where you're from. I know a lot of our audience is U.S. based, and a lot isn't. Um, the idea of secession, both historically and um, like as an idea of, of you know potentiality, so. How, how do you uh, approach this topic as far as tying it in specifically with liber libertarianism? Because, you know, historically, we can certainly see that secession movements haven't been like necessarily strongly tied to libertarian or liberal ideas. That's right. Secession movements, as we've covered, we have about almost 30 now different videos on specific separatist movements historical and current and they run the gamut of ideology from like good to bad generally speaking we won't cover like 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 uh, like we wouldn't cover the shining path or something as like a positive example but generally speaking like there are marxist leninist uh groups that we've uh covered there's there's some libertarian ones like the, the zapatistas and um Oh, Macnovia that we've covered, but but really like liberal, conservative, leftist um, secession does not have a flag in that sense. There's yeah, separate uh, general uh, like you know just as a matter of you know uh, like a you know the the law of large numbers. Lots of lots of. Um, Separatist movements, not a lot of them libertarian. So why should libertarians support secessionist movements? Um, the reason isn't necessarily that there will be libertarian separatist movements if we just embrace them. Like, we're not going to convert Sinn Féin to market liberalism. But if we support these kinds of movements not only does this mean we could change uh domestic opinion wherever we live i mean i think we're all americans here so if for some reason somehow we were able to convince uh, the general public to be more accepting of separatist movements in other countries uh maybe a libertarian secessionist movement would be more successful that's one argument why we should uh support pan secession another reason is uh an example i often use in somalia northern somalia has a unrecognized state somaliland which is actually far more liberal far more stable uh than uh the greater somalia and uh it, it has been like independent of the state since 1992 um and it has recognized the libertarian microstate of liberland 
as a reciprocal agreement. Liberal land recognizes Somali land, uh, vice versa. So there's there's a chance where we can make strategic pacts on a diplomatic international level that can further the cause of libertarian secession and libertarianism in general. Hey, LSEC here. I wanted to tell you about agoristacres.com. They're a seed company, uh, friends of the show. Uh, this is where I get my seeds from uh, here at the homestead. Um, they've got a lot, a big, wide variety of seeds. Um, they got free shipping on orders over uh, 20 bucks. It's fast shipping. Um, if you place an order, it'll be shipped next business day. A lot of cool packaging. And you can pay with uh, crypto right on the site. Um, and they're, they're agorists. And uh, they also believe in the, the importance of producing your own food. Um, and, um, they have a wide variety of seeds that you won't necessarily find in a lot of other places, a lot of cool varieties, interesting, um, seeds, and they can, if there's something that you're looking for, they can probably get it for you too. So, um, check out agoristacres.com. And if you use promo code, uh, Agora 10, uh, you'll save yourself 10%. Thanks guys. So what you're saying is that we should move to Somalia? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm well, here's the thing. Like, here's the thing. I actually, I mean, I would not be opposed to an African free state project where, I mean, especially African libertarians, but maybe more generally anyone, like, come to Somaliland because it's a burgeoning, like, free port, basically. While it's not internationally recognized by states, uh, it's a it's a shipping center. It's a, its capital is a it's a, a large port. It's right on the Red Sea. Um, I would like if someone tells me to go to Somalia, like you know, I mean, this is like like a nerdy like response, but like, oh well, maybe Somalia land someday. Like it's stable liberal society there. I mean, it's not perfect. Um, but it has, like, you know, the meme about Somalia is obviously that it's violent, it's unstable, there's no government, right? So libertarians should go there. Somaliland has had a democratically elected government, like, for 30 years. Like, it's it's a norm, it's, it's an abnormal country in Africa because it has had peaceful transfers of power, like, consistently. So... I mean, maybe move to Samoa land. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm surprised that this is actually something that has kind of flown under the radar for most libertarians, um, because what you're describing, I've vaguely heard of it, the, the concepts here and there, but like, I, I really had no idea. So that's, that's an interesting story. Um, I got two questions. Actually, Mike, you're, uh, Mike, Penguin, your mic is coming in a little hot. Um, um, I got two questions. One, are are you an anarchist? I'm an anarcho-capitalist, yes. Okay. Um, and two, you see this as a valuable strategy for what specifically? Well, I, I 
as an anarcho-capitalist, anarchist, whatever, market anarchist, I think the strategy should be to increase liberty, like, as a net. Like, we should be working to make more freedom. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I really like that you you pointed out and called yourself an anarcho-capitalist because, you know, I've become... So I know we're going to we get back into like semantics land again, but um, I think that the term is very, very useful for discussing something other than complete anarchy and la lack of, of lack of like governing institutions. That there's a there's a different approach, but perhaps a very pragmatic and um, a very pragmatic and uh, it's a, certainly a different approach so that there can't be this constant critique of, oh, uh, you support any sort of uh, governing institution or large, uh, or, you know, large structure um, on the road to liberation, decentralization, localism, all the concepts that we kind of enshrine here on the podcast. And uh, I, I think that the very best ANCAPs that I've heard, the ones that have really done their reading and really thought through their ideas, like have really put forth some innovative things, um, whether it's like the sea stutters or like ideas like your guys in your channel. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I, um, I, I, I think there's a lot of wrong with like anarcho-capitalist, not theory. I think anarcho-capitalist theory is, co is quite healthy. Um, Anarcho-capitalist rhetoric, I think, in the last five years or so has been kind of lacking, especially when it comes to seeing, I mean, well, there's all there's all kinds of, like, we'll be here all day if there's, you know, critiques about ANCAPs and, like, how they conduct themselves. But I would say the reason I really jumped on the opportunity to be on this podcast is because I think left market anarchism is just such a natural ally to what you might call right libertarianism and it's it's i mean honestly like as much uh hate as he gets you know from like left wing like lwmas um and like centrist ancaps whatever but like tom woods is uh, friendship with gary chartier or rod long's friendship with um stephen kinsella these are very valuable things i mean that they you know they consider them they consider each other like you know one good people and two like useful intellectuals yeah so, the series that tom woods did with gary chartier um Chartier, uh, that warmed my heart. I was glad to see it, and it was a great conversation to be had. He did a whole week-long series with him not that long ago. And, um, no, I, I agree that um, in certain circumstances, bridges between different sort of sub-ideologies um, make a lot of sense and are also very uh, valuable, obviously, for, for long-term strategy, especially if... Um, the people in question are motivated to actually 
do something to to uh, to further these ideas in in practice. Um, as you know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter what your pet set of economics or whatever is. Um, you know, it's it's what are you doing and how are you treating people, right? Um, so that a lot of um, fre- sort of friendships and bridges can be made. Um, by putting aside certain things um, for the sake of actually getting shit done, I th- I think. But um, let me let me um, let me now I, I let me put a, a counter argument to what you're saying. Um, and I wouldn't advocate doing this, but um, it's actually the case. I think the case that a large central bloated bureaucracy could um would actually mean more individual freedom for most people now here's why a small localized government will actually run efficiently and properly so that means that most of the infringements on your individual liberty will be done executed locally efficiently and um and and properly so that means you're um less likely to get away with things whereas a large bloated central bureaucracy they just can't they don't have an effective means of enforcement which is why you see such a blossoming gray market in so many things because the federal government is not capable of enforcing most things and they tend to uh just focus on the the worst worst case worst crimes um, that people are committing or the easiest and, and the, um, in certain cases, especially with localities. Um, so it might actually be better, more beneficial in terms of individual freedom. If we have just this large bloated centralized government that is incapable of actually doing anything so that we can exercise our own individual freedom and autonomy locally and develop our own institutions and in, um for you know dispute re- resolution or security or any of those things i think that most tyranny comes from that actually affects our daily lives doesn't come from a federal government or um, any of that th- any of the sort for the most part it's your local um your local government um and this is to me why i don't see it doesn't seem to compute when I, uh, the more I think about uh, secession personally, but um, because, you know, it's not Joe Biden that's screwing with my life. It's the local code enforcement. It's, um, you know, your property taxes. Um, it's whatever regulation about having a garden or collecting water. It's um, sales tax. It's just, uh, and it's permits for um, setting up a farmer's market. None of these things come from the federal government. They all come from your local government. So your local government is actually the greatest arbiter of tyranny in your personal life. And I don't see how having um, more focus on on local tyranny is necessarily going to lead to individual freedom. Okay, well, um, what I would say to that is, while that's true, I mean, we all are aware of the like the the base petty tyranny of local governments everywhere every everyone knows how stupid those laws can be 
and how it really just like will ruin your day, ruin your business, right? The federal government, again, I mean, it's not one, it's not protecting you from any of that, but two, and more, more importantly, the things that really make local and state government awful, um, and like in America specifically, like just just evil, um, do ultimately come from the U.S. federal government. For example, militarization of police. That's a DOD program selling, you know, MRAP, selling riot gear, selling automatic weapons. Like, without a strong federal government, I mean, listen, cops have basically always been bad um, since they were invented in the 19th century. Um, But this new militarization trend is, is subsidized. By the federal government. And of course you have the drug war. Another huge like aspect of people's lives. Where um, you know. People's lives are ruined. They're thrown in jail. They're shot. Killed. Um, ultimately that came from the federal government. So I think. I think. We should not ignore. That localism. Does not mean libertarianism. But on the other hand the worst excesses of like local government state government are always aided and abetted by washington i mean i think that's that's a good point um i think that you have two two notions here is and one is that the local um localized institutions and local governments and everything are quite possibly going to be um more responsive to the needs of a lot of people, more responsive to like the the preferences and the input of a, a certain range of people in um, in the community. And the more local you get, the more so as the case. But then also, you know, there's certainly class distinctions and just the fact that there are busy bodies and tyrants basically that do exist i think kind of scattered about everywhere and and people with different different class interests and i think i think sec has a good point the counter argument is the local government has uh more ability to see through see through the people in it in its jurisdiction like transparently for the same reasons and to kind of act more effectively on them and you, you, so you have you have that effect working in both directions. <clears throat> excuse me, both directions. Um, but I certainly see. I certainly like the idea of the breakup of large um, empires, and you, you really can kind of count the large powers and, and, and large nation states as effectively, you know, an empire uh, empires as in you know centrally governed militaristic. Um, uh, states that that control many nations and and if you just kind of change that to like many communities so for example the united states you know each individual state is called a state and is a, it's a rather large territory that could be independently functioning and that added layer of government that's also militaristically expansionist and has a worldwide you know a global uh military footprint most definitely qualifies as a, as a form of kind of like liberal empire well pretty illiberal but 
um, an empire nonetheless. Um, and I think, you know, not even thinking about American secessionism in general, but just trying to put this on a, in a, into a global perspective, I think that um, that to, to see people want to kind of break up the idea of big is good um, could be a, a net benefit regardless of, because you, you're certainly not going to have, have it turn out this way, regardless of the ex exact nature of like the movements or the, even the, um, <clears throat> the, um, the motives of individuals. I'm, I'm so glad you actually said the, the liberal empire thing, because I think that is sort of, you know, uh, Jefferson referred to a liberal empire as his idea for a continental United States. Um, but um, unfortunately, the liberal empire never materialized. It was co-opted immediately by authoritarianism, by imperialism. I mean, you can think like um, um, America before it was it spanned from sea to sea versus after like it was less authoritarian and uh like you also mentioned i mean there's the global context too because the united states government federal government is not just oppressing its internal citizens right and maybe in, in a certain sense like yes like uh sex said um it's a lot more usually it's a lot more esoteric the kinds of oppressions we're being you know subjected to from the federal government versus from the state government or local whatever that's true but for a citizen of yemen for a citizen of niger for a citizen of you know a dozen countries the U.S. government's influence on their lives is nothing short of catastrophic. So destroying the empire by breaking it up would do massive amounts of good. And this is also true for lots of it, like Russian, the breakup of the Russian empire, the breakup of the Chinese empire. It would free people from terrorism. And like mass murder, and I think that's a very important point to consider. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you just added that last part there because that's the importance of necessarily making it a like pan secessionist movement. This only works as if it's a pan global pan secessionist movement that wants to break up every single one of these empires just as badly and simultaneously and full support for each other. Otherwise the argument argument's always going to be, you know, one empire is just going to kind of take, come in and take the place of another once, once the essential, controlling structures are weakened enough to allow for secession or, fed or strong federalism or whatever. So yeah, that's right. super exactly. Important. The spring springtime of nations wasn't engineered by any one power. It was all of them. All of them were seeing threats at the same time. So that's what should happen again. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the yeah, that, that characteristic of this has to, is key and it has to be, um, has to be, and I think where one, so one counter argument that comes from that, though, as important as that is, is that 
so a, a lot of these movements for secession or, or, or something along the lines can can be kind of closed kind of inward thinking you know maybe parochial you know movements based around you know ethnicity or language or uh, possibly or possibly religion um and also religious movements can be very large depending on the religion and the, the nature of the movement um but they can also often be very kind of closed mind wanted to like wall in a certain communitarian group I suppose, I guess generally the word is being very parochial, but a pans, a global pan-secessionist movement, on the other hand, um, very, so not very liberal in that sense, but a global pan-secessionist movement would require, you know, fellowship with people all over the world of many different cultures and like, um, you know, that, that kind of fellowship, that kind of fellowship between um, Liberland and Somaliland and whatnot that you gave an example, but imagine that as like a, a distributed thing where it's happening all throughout all these different secessionist movements scattered about the globe. And I think that almost would require a sort of cosmopolitanism that a sort of balance that would be hard to imagine like all the people, a lot of people could probably do this. I think I understand where how you could come to this kind of mindset but i think it would also be a mindset that wouldn't be um come easily to every type of secessionist movement if that makes any sense of course i mean like i said pan uh secessionist movements run the gamut we've covered the boers we've even covered the you know the southern southern nationalists both from the 1860s to Today, the Southern American nationalists. Um, there are illiberal forces all over the world that want to secede. Um, what I think is the best test case for this is Burma, where, well, I have a lot to say, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say the Burma thing. It's all like, I think you have extremely good uh, counter arguments and I want to try to do them all at the same time in my brain, but okay. So let's focus on Burma. The Burmese civil war has been waged by the central government with the ethnic majority against a huge range of different ethnic groups. Um, you got the Kachin, you got the uh, Kogang, you got the, Iraqis, they're all fighting the central state. And um, in, oh, in the 2000s or whatever, they actually uh, allied with each other um, against the central government, like in a formal alliance. They call it the Northern Alliance because most of the, the ethnic minorities are in the north. Um, but their goal, their end goal is secession for their constituent nations it's not they want to be a confederation they're I, I put i put it like this in the video i made on um the burmese separatists they're freeing themselves from each other the agreement is we defeat the central government and we go our separate ways in my mind a pan-secessionist global movement that has that kind of mentality of 
We need to fight these people and then we can live our own lives separate from each other. We don't need like cosmopolitanism. I'm not against it or whatever, but we should recognize that like a lot of people, especially in the global South are not cosmopolitan culturally, but what they can grasp, what they do, a libertarian, uh, a libertarian idea that they do understand is the idea of just like, I have my thing, you have your thing. But you also see this in the Ethiopian civil war of the, you know, the past couple of years. It's the Omoro and the Tigres not saying we want, we want to be, oh, instead of Ethiopia, it's Tigre Omoro. It's saying we're fighting with, we're fighting you know, side by side, but we don't want to be like, we don't need to be together. Right. Uh, and when it comes to like your, your point about uh, religion specific, but also, I mean, any of these things, linguistic minorities, whatever. But the point is, I think it is a libertarian instinct a libertarian movement to be like my minority is being oppressed by a central government. I need to protect it. And if liber, if, uh, well, yeah, liberal nationalism is the way to protect it is, you know, making a known polity of like, if, for example, we cover the Corsicans, um, having an independent Corsica, which, you know, the parties are Corsican nationalists, and yes, they're ex you know they're exclusivist, basically, right? They, I mean, I don't think they're like racial essentialists. Most of them are on the left, but you could imagine that most of them at least want someone who wants to have like Corsican citizenship to speak Corsican, adopt Corsican culture, etc., and that is exclusivist. But on the other hand when you have a centralized government in Paris imposing rule on an island and an island is saying no we don't we don't want people from from your island uh or sorry from whatever from France come here we're we're our own people i think that is like that's a natural like as bakunin um I'm sure you're aware is a was kind of like a nationalist in that sense that like there's an instinctual love of you know your neighbor your peers your kin and while that's like that's not the be all end all of liberalism right like liberalism ultimately is universalist it is cosmopolitanism but if that kind of particularism is in opposition to imperialism, like the idea that like everyone belongs to us, this master race, right? The French, the German, the Italian just gets to dictate uh, how other like people can live. Then the more libertarian party has to be the minority. I don't know how you guys see it, but that that's how I see it. 
No, I think you make some good points. And let me just clarify my my argument from before. I am not advocating a a, a large centralized organization. I, I don't believe large institutions work. I believe smaller decentralized local institutions work. That being said, the a government is always going to be a purveyor of violence. So I don't want a purveyor of violence to work well. <laughs> you know what I mean? So instead of local government, I would prefer self-governance, polycentrism, that sort of thing that's not necessarily tied to a geographic area. And I, I think you would agree with that as a, uh, at least as an, you know, an end goal. But my question is, um, I, I see this as a, a useful strategy for some, uh, for some reasons that you mentioned before in the sense that the U S federal government is, you know, killing thousands of babies in Yemen. And I think it could be a useful strategy, uh, uh, strategy for fracturing and balkanizing, um, the powers of the world. It could be a useful um, sort of uh, chink in the armor, or you know, a wedge in um, the, the the strength of of nation states to the point where it uh, it does not allow them to purvey violence as effectively throughout the world. That being said, I don't necessarily think that this co- correlates to individual freedom necessarily i mean yes you've agreed to this and we've kind of gone over this but i i just don't see how you get from small local government to freedom or to an anarchist society like i i don't see those i I can't see how those steps would work in in reality i think like i said it could be very useful um to counteract the uh prevailing empires of the world maybe we can cause them a lot of havoc um, I think that, you know, just the, uh, I think that the Irish nationalism for a long time is part of the reason that the British empire fell apart because they were just spending so much time dicking around with the IRA, um, and internal domestic problems that it just became hard that, and, you know, world war one and, and a lot of other combining factors that helped to, uh, destroy the British empire, I think, um, so I, th- I I think I agree that this could be a very useful strategy for certain things. I just don't see the connection between this and then how this ends up being individual freedom and autonomy and anarchism. Hey, Zach here. I wanted to introduce you guys to Appalachian Apothecary. That is, uh, that's my lady. Um, she makes... Boatload of tinctures, salves, um, medicines, um, some uh, libations, um, all all very good, all from stuff we grew here at the homestead, um, and she knows what she's doing, she's a wizard, um, you, you may have heard her on the chemistry episode, but uh, if you're interested in any of that, um, go ahead and touch base with me um, at SecMagora on telegram s-e-k-m-c-g-o-r-a all one word all caps or you can find us in the uh, agora podcast discord telegram or find us on twitter at agora underscore pod thanks bye okay um i think 
well, I'll go through the kind of the this is common. You've probably actually heard this before, right? This this specific thing that microstates generally speaking are more libertarian than large countries like andorra malta uh you know um san marino Liechtenstein, of course uh being basic probably the only libertarian quote-unquote like no libertarian country that exists uh singapore you know uh all of these like little microstates these small countries are um very free economically and socially maybe not so much socially in singapore but it's a very wealthy very well managed country and i think your your critique of like yes smaller countries can also be very authoritarian in some senses is true but i feel like to a certain extent technology has closed the gap for like and and this is certainly true of America, and like look, like settler countries like Argentina, for example, there was large tracts of land that were basically uh, it, there was a wild west in Argentina, just like America. But eventually, all that stuff gets connected, and suddenly the federal government like does exist, or you know, state governments as well. Uh, both both countries are federal states um so i'm i'm a little skeptical of the idea of just having like you know a tied up bureaucracy that can't do anything right i mean they do like like they kill hundreds and thousands of people every year they collect trillions of tax revenue i mean Yes, the bureaucracy. Well, it's almost you know the the concept of anarcho tyranny, right? Like they're good at bad stuff and they're bad at good stuff. So you have yeah, you have an anarcho tyrannous state that oh you know it takes a so a long time to like get, get something approved, whatever. But they can like instantly like no knock SWAT raid like you know, a house that they think has, like, marijuana smoke or whatever, right? Like, it's, they're good, they're, as Hoppe would say, you know, it's a competition in producing bads. Yeah, I I don't think that, that for example, the no-not raids and drug war and stuff, yes, they are, like, pervade by, nominally by the local authorities. I don't think that, um, like, a fractured, I definitely like these word balkanized, but like fractured, you know, world where these localities are uh, part of more, let's say part of a series of micro states. Like I don't see that happening without the strong federal government, even if like the connections here or like the, the causation here is opaque. I don't think that that, ha that happens in a world without a very strong federal government, without a, uh, you know, sub sub directly subsidizing this, but also like the class of people that are ultimately like uh, pulling the not pulling the strings, but like the, or the constituents of the government that are really somewhat pulling the strings and funding campaigns and behind the politicians on a national level. That uh, you know, quote unquote, elite class of people can't have that sway as nearly as much with with uh, a kind of balkanized kind of microstate reality. 
you know, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term Kebenitzkrieg, but this, um, basically, okay, between the 30 years war and the Napoleonic Wars, the wars that actually happened did not create mass casualties, especially not mass civilian casualties. And the reason for this that historians come up with is because there was the idea was the king financed his own wars. And when the money runs out, you can't hire mercenaries. You don't you don't want to draft people because people will get angry, there'll be uprisings, etc. Way easier to hire mercenaries. So you have wars between different teams of mercenaries, basically. I mean, Seven Years' War is a good example of this. Um, there's a ton of different Anglo-Franco wars, uh, which to fit very neatly in this um, Queen Anne's War, etc. But, but basically... The king finances his own war from his own treasury. And mercenaries fight in a field until someone wins or whatever. Like, uh, capitals aren't bombarded. Like, places aren't looted or whatever. But after the, um, the French Revolution, in France, there's general mobilization. It's no longer mercenaries are going to be capable paid by the king it's the nation calling you up for service to defend the republic and millions of men were raised like this is why france was so deadly especially in the early years is because it had a huge army that it raised from conscripts and this is why the napoleonic wars were so bloody other countries had to reciprocate britain austria germany etc uh, Russia, of course. Uh, and, you know, millions of young men died. I'm using this historical example to sort of point to the idea of, like, a localism, which it's like, okay, yes, there's wars, they're bad. People die, or whatever. But when you put it when you give it an imperial context when it's a national greatness thing millions of people can die in these these things i mean the french empire versus the british empire way more deadly than like the kingdom of france and the uh, you know the kingdom of britain like kind of just funding their own little wars or whatever it's it's the analogy is basically the wealth that the federal government can pr provide, can subsidize through like grand taxation, is way more dangerous than what uh, the state of Illinois can subsidize to do. Okay, I don't know if this is relates to the Hoppe's argument that you kind of alluded to earlier, but I, I think what we're saying here is that many of the bads that um, large governments do are things that actually are effectively, and this kind of really ties back to like what we talked about on our podcast, are, are things that are effectively done at scale and are very hard to do at a very small scale. Um, whereas some, some types of 
governance that can be like, uh, you know, genuine public goods are done at some at the very some of the smallest scales. So is, is that kind of along the lines of what you're saying? Uh, so in, in, in sense of like, you know, large prison system, large war mobilization, or, you know, uh, uh, global militaries, you know, you have global military deployments, etc. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've already talked about the, 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 the foreign policy, military aspect. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, even like anything that's like a great imposition, like, okay, so local governments, I think, are petty tyrants, but no local government like did something as horribly catastrophic. It's like, let's just say like the Great Wall of China, right? Like thousands of workers died building and of course, there's you know there's more recent like the Holodomor, whatever. Like the kinds of policies local governments can pursue do not have. I mean, just because of the scale, right? If it, like this is, and this is why I think Marxist-Leninist separatist organizations are not like just like uh, immediately excommunicable from the springtime of nations idea. Okay, if Tigray wants to collectivize agriculture, they can still import food, right? If if like it inevitably fails. But an entire empire, the Ethiopian Empire collectivizing, which it did, and causing a famine, which it did, that's a lot harder to fix. I mean, this is kind of the whole thing of like a laboratory of democracy, right? I mean, that's what people say, like, when they want to advocate for federalism is like, oh, we'll try different ideas or whatever. Like, yeah, like if Louisiana became a communist country, there wouldn't be a massive famine because they could just buy food from neighboring countries. Right. But these huge like if the United States became a communist country, like we don't have the money to just but like I mean, we 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 produce half the food in the world. There's a huge famine because of collectivization policies. Like millions of people would just starve to death, right? I th I think keep keeping in mind the question of scale is important when we're talking about pan secession. Yeah, no, I I actually I totally agree with most of what you just said, and to me, this is like the argument for anarchism. Right. In the sense that, <clears throat> you know, it's the argument that, um, well, wouldn't there be warlords and, and, and blah, blah, blah in an anarchist society? And essentially, it, you're right that a nation state can uh, <laughs> more effectively and at scale um, execute violence to on other people and its own, um, you know, its own military uh, more effectively than or with more ability and more resources than say a, a small collective or band of people. Um, and it, this is, I mean, this is the argument for decentralization. And I, I agree um, in an anarchist setting, we just would not have the ability to um, operate military at scale like that in an offensive manner. Um and the the same thing with um, you know most other things. I think local um, 
systems of whatever it is, uh, you know, economics, production, governance. Uh, these are all uh, fine things, and they tend to be more responsive and effective to the individual needs involved. Um, you know, provided they're they're somewhat bottom up and um, participatory. Um, so I, I don't think we disagree. I mean, we're all localists to some extent here. Um, I'm just not, you know, I, I'm not ready to jump on the, put too much stock in like, oh, getting, you know, Texas to secede or whatever the thing is, you know, I, do you, um, do you find that this would be a better strategy or more effective than just building the institutions we want to see rather than this, um, sort of uh essentially a, a trip through you know political action um to try to devolve um systems um through the system rather than just building an entirely new system uh i mean yes i, I the difference is when we're talking about a pan-secessionist um strategy is not just to say it's good that whatever ted cruz is going to become president of texas or whatever it's to leverage our support for that for texas support of new hampshire or wherever i mean any anywhere uh texas support for the the south brazil movement that wants to break off from Brazil, or I mean, I, I, when you, when you're talking about why, why do we care about localism or smaller, smaller territorially or you know, population wise government? You know, that Grover Norquist quote of like, I want a government small enough to drown in a bathtub, right? Once you get a government small enough to drown in a bathtub, at least population-wise, just drown it. Once we have small microstates, like libertarian uprisings can be extremely effective. Um, I mean, you can think of uh, all all the microstates in um, the, the Pacific. Like you know, they have tiny militaries tiny governments a dedicated set of people could very easily take those over not advocating that anyone necessarily does that but like i mean it's not that hard to for example topple the government of kiribati like probably like a thousand people and if those a thousand people believe in the right you know the the nap if they're libertarians, I mean, Kiribati would just become libertarian. Like, they would just, like, abolish all laws or whatever. Like, it's a very immediate, like, benefit. And, you know, this goes for basically all microstates. And if the world was microstates, then our strategy would be so much easier because all we have to do is get enough people to topple, you know, a government with you know, or a, a region with like half a million people or 2,500 people. Yeah, I, um, 
when it, we're, we're talking about scalability a lot. So I'm, I generally am highly, highly, highly skeptical of government and certainly the state. But as scalability does apply to, you know, governing systems and government itself isn't necessarily um, state government, although we're usually re referring to governments of states. Um, but I, I think we should say that while, you know, democracy certainly has its flaws, it's also a very broad term. I, I think that democracy at a small scale, like a lot of things, works a lot better just not not just in a linear way is a lot better functioning at smaller and at, at the smallest of scales than um or like a representative democracy or direct democracy or whatever uh, direct democracy probably at the smallest of scales it does work better than trying to scale it up to at the level that's attempted with say the united states even with all the little little tricks and kind of institutions that kind of try to make it stable um i think that you do have some benefit other than just saying this is just a way to ultimately get to toppling all states for individual freedom because you know that is not the necessarily necess excuse me not the necessary end goal that this would have um but yeah i think given what's the topics that are in the news right now some hot button issues um i think the idea of like federal strong federalism or states rights or like the equivalent just generally and not just just in the united states context uh, you mentioned lab laboratories of democracy um for, for example um that's very pertinent right now i think i've had a lot of thoughts about that um and so the first thing I, I think of is the states' rights. Um, I mean, just the term states' rights and what it entails. It's not libertarian. It's not libertarian at all. However, um, like if you take, for example, the current day U.S. and you did have a strong federalism and a very minimal footprint of the federal government, um, I think there is it's not so much to, oh, we'd have laboratories of democracy because that concept can be flawed by, well, the fact that states, uh, you know, contain lots of different diverse classes of people and groups of people and communities. And they necessarily do because they're centered around, you know, urban center, urban centers and rural areas and different kinds of communities and industries. Okay. But another competing issue, kind of a pro of this is market competition. So, um, market competition between micro states or, or you know strong federal states which would have a tremendous like a strong u.s states would have a tremendous power over its citizens with uh, largely uncheckable in this in this example um but they would also be so that by being under this united states umbrella they would then be in competition with each other um which one would think would promote a, a couple of things so you'd have you'd have the argument for the states being more responsive to like the preferences and the, the regional characteristics and the preferences of the communities in them and which are obviously that people differ on lots of different things but they'd also be in competition for more libertarian and liberal policies um and maybe just smaller footprint and a smaller ability to kind of instill a tyranny uh, without that protection of the federal government and without that kind of managing of things that kind of, I don't know, um, counteract some of the negative effects of, of like government regulation and, and 
tariffs and trade barriers and various things. So I think that competition between microstates, just to sum all that, all that up, could be the best argument for like these devolved microstates. I mean, I'm not really, well, I, I mean, I think these are good points. Um, uh, my only uh, reservation is I think it is more than more than that. I think um, well, how, how do I uh, trying to think of how to word this? Basically, okay, so I think the yeah, okay, all right. I think the badness of a state. I mean, I to to disagree. I think with uh, sex, like really first point is the badness of a state really does increase with distance. I mean, I really do think that like the ability to see people as your own kin is an important like part of like kind of like the internal check on uh on rulers i think that's not and i think to a certain extent that's why i and springtime and nations in general see liberal nationalism as a check against state power not just because like liberalism is a check against state power but because uh, a polity that's like where the majority is someone that speaks the same language there's no and and this can be like divided down of course because we're anarchists like down to the individual as you said but like starting from the groundwork of like people who do have the same culture should govern themselves. That principle, and you know, this is basically like Misesian minarchism, right? Is that you just divide down based on who you have like like something in common with someone, right? Like Mises basically said, like, you know, like a town could like be a na nationalist. Town nationalism. Um, it wasn't, he wasn't ready to go all the way to the individual, but like that kind of shows like that's, that's the path, right? You go from empire to country to nation to micronation to neighborhood and then you finally reach what we all want, which is that someone can determine their own destiny for themselves. Okay, let, let me bounce this off of you real quick then. Like, I, I, I think that's, I kind of disagree with that notion just because it's not taking into consideration other arguments. Like, let's say almost, almost Marxist kind of, I'm, I, I'm a very class, I'm very conscious of the, of the, the concept of class and it does play a lot of role here. And that kind of could, that kind of overshadows the idea that people with a common language or common, you know, supposed common culture 
is somewhat ge geographically tied or maybe a little bit more loosely so do naturally form some kind of nation because there's also competing class interests involved so that the idea is that you know that's not the only thing that hope that people can hold in common or as differences so that's a that's a big negative but i i, I think the, the initial argument you made could be also put in liberal individualist terms which i think does support your argument and this is so this is how i i felt it not that necessarily people see each other as kin which i think is very almost traditionalist sounding but that I guess at the smaller scale, um, people could kind of see each other in the liberal sense as means of themselves and not, or ends of themselves and not means to an end. And I think that's the backbone of why I think individualism is is supremely important, um, is because I think to, to see other people as as ends and you know agent, you know moral and economic agents, and people with you know souls or whatever however you want to put it um yeah i think that's the idea is central the idea that we do see others that kind of under the same institutional umbrellas as being like ins and of themselves and and and, and actual as human beings and not as statistics or just people to use as means to an end well it could go either way right so like there is some truth to what you say that it's people have the potential if they have to deal with you on a day-to-day -day basis and you're familiar and your neighbors and your kids play soccer together or whatever the thing is that they might um, be less oppressive to you and they might see you more as a human rather than some statistic in Washington. But on the other sense, you, you know, this is discounting sort of busybodies and, and Karens and lawn Nazis, right? So like somebody in the EPA might just see me as an, a number, right? Or might just not have the time or to worry about some little thing, right? They've got so much on their plate just by sheer volume. They cannot effectively enforce it on everyone. And they're, you know, most likely going to go off after the biggest and easiest, right? So you can, you can see it either way. It really kind of just depends. It depends on who your neighbors are, right? So like, um, somebody local to me is driving by my house every day and sees that I got fucking chickens in my backyard and now oh, we're not supposed to have chickens in your backyard and, you know, wants to nitpick about this or that. So then they're on the council or they know somebody on the council. So therefore they're going to be in a, a, a pain in my ass. Right. Whereas somebody from the EPA, I'm, they're seeing like a hundred thousand, whatever thing complaints or whatever a day. Um, they just cannot effectively enforce all of them. So your chances of slipping through the cracks are much greater. So it's kind of one of those things where <clears throat> when things are good, they're good on a local level, but when they go bad, they go real fucking bad. Cause now you're with these people all every day. They're hassling you about whatever. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. Your, your grass is four inches instead of the three and three, um, three inches and, in, and, in, in a quarter. Um, you're going to have to cut that. And you know, it's just like a, um, the nightmare of like an HOA or a, um, you know, the, the local Karen who wants to talk to the manager of the town council. So it really, it's a, it's a coin toss essentially, because you can greatly benefit from the, um, the lack of the ability just because of sheer volume for, uh, a federal agency to effectively enforce their own codes or, or, or laws, but a local government 
all of those people that are in that local government live right down the road from you and they drive by your house and they know for fucking sure that your grass is three and a half inches instead of three and uh and and 3.25 and they're gonna find you every day until it's cut and blah 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 and ruin your day and i'm oh i'm very sorry that you can't have those tomatoes in your front lawn and etc right whereas the ap lady working at the epa who just went through seven fucking thousand complaints today does not care that you have tomatoes in your front yard at all you're just a number to her so like which do you prefer you know i don't i prefer neither i'm not a, i'm not advocating for a large federal government here i'm just making trying to make like a a somewhat of a counter argument or a counterpoint here to uh show that it's it's not necessarily the case that a um yes because you have um a local government and these are people that you will deal with and are familiar with that doesn't necessarily mean that that's fucking good right because that also means you have to see these people every day and they see your property every day and it's just more of a chance for you them to ruin your day as opposed to you being one number in a grand list in a, on a computer database somewhere that nobody cares about and their government employees, they don't give a shit. They're just putting in their eight hours and going home and doing the bare minimum anyway. So you can probably get away with a lot more. Just my thought. Are you familiar with the term uh, salutary neglect? It rings a very vague bell, but what is that? <laughs> okay, so it's yeah. I I mean I okay. <laughs> we'll we'll just skip past that. Uh, salutary neglect is what is referred to as the British Empire's policy towards the British colonies in North America, uh, basically up until like after the Seven Years' War. Basically, the Empire thought it was too costly to actually enforce any of the laws they passed, like, on the United States. So, to a great deal, uh, the United States had local control of basically everything uh, for a hundred years or so when they were forming uh, their colonies. And then, what? but once... You know, you, you've heard of, you know about the, you know, the Stamp Act, you get the Quebec Act, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this salutary neglect went away. And I bring it up because, like, yes, like, great large states can basically preside over like they can be a lot more libertarian than local because of course the, the colony of Virginia was enforcing laws way more and way worse than you know the the kingdom of you know the United Kingdom of you know Scotland and England and Northern Ireland or Ireland at the time but Ultimately, like when you know the shoe hits, what is it? The, the the yeah, the shoe hits the floor or whatever. Like, United Kingdom isn't fucking around. Like, the potential 
of the federal government to just ruin your life is on a level like uncomparable with your HOA. Your HOA is going to pester you and it's like, oh, you got a $50 fine for having... Like, that sucks. That sucks and it's bad. Like, people should not, you know, do... Like, they should not conduct themselves in a way that, like, it, like their HOA has, like, a grass height limit. Okay, but like that that woman that's like on the in the EPA that's like looking over like just like lazily looking over your file, she could ruin your life. Just like your life's like done. Like you get a fifty thousand dollar fine for having, uh, what uh, what what's that big thing? It's like oh yeah, like. Unnavigable water over fifty thousand square feet, or something like that. It's like, like it's like it's over. Like you, I mean, and you can't. Uh, and, appeal yeah, and that's if they don't kill you, right? I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, but, but I mean, but I, and that's how like the federal government rules. It's like it's very slow to act, but and then it just like kills you like local government bad state government also bad and they can also kill you like that's clear right like they kill you all the time but when you get got by the feds when you get got by the irs the epa whatever the atf like there's no recourse like it's when when you got by the the state, you have a recourse even to the federal government, which is happy to like destroy you know state power. And you know if you can benefit from that, that you know all power to you because states obviously like are also bad. But like if it's the federal government going after you, you you can't do anything. It's like that's it, and that's the whole point of like I mean. Murray Rothbard talks about this, like the nightmare of like world government is that there's nowhere to go. You can't flee if you don't like what the world government says. And on a like slightly small level, that's that's the point of pan-secessionism. Is you can at least leave. You can at least leave with your life if you don't like what they're doing. So here's where we we probably overlap quite a bit and um and actually i i think we agree more than we disagree it's just a matter of perspective on certain things it's like with the local government okay so with the federal government yeah they will really ruin your life but you have more of a chance of avoiding it whereas the local government is probably less effective at um you know, ruining your life, but your, your, your chances are far greater just because you're closer. Right. Um, and there's less people for them to look at, but, um, that wasn't my point. The, where we, I think we overlap quite a bit is, are, are you familiar with municipalism? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you ever read neighborhood power, uh, the new localism and or community technology by Carl Hess. Regrettably, I'm not. Okay. Well, we have an audio book in our feed that we did of both of those books. 
And essentially his idea, and I think it would be right up your alley, is he was drawing on a lot of uh, sort of municipalist thinkers in the sense that um, he thought that similar to what you think, that devolving power down to the very the local level, both in terms of governance and production um, to the I mean, minute local level to the in the sense of like neighborhoods and and blocks and streets um, would be an effective strategy um, for providing the, you know, the material base and the facts on the ground for achieving a free society. Um, But it was more in the sense that we are literally just going to build this. Right. So neighborhoods would put together organizations for or you know government governance and collective action decision making that sort of thing um you would start be, to begin like local education and uh, production systems and you know i don't know cooperative um machine shops and all these kinds of things to so you would have a stable almost a stable neighborhood industry um you know also me you know local media about various things um for that specific neighborhood food production uh it would be more localized and you would have you know uh whatever you wanted to do you know a, a neighborhood assembly for you know solving disputes disputes and um and sort of collection collective uh decision making but i i think that this is almost the same thing as what you're saying in the except for we don't necessarily need the municipalities or the states or the localities that exist currently. We can literally just build our own. Um, Penguin, you're getting a lot of hiss. Um, we can literally just build our own in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities. Um, it's not necessary that we use, um, you know, Cat- Catalonia or Texas or whatever, or you know, uh, you know, uh, the state of Jefferson and, and Northern California. We don't need these governmental jurisdictions that already exist. We can build our own affinity groups, essentially, in you know our local communities or w- for like-minded individuals, um, and that would even be a further devolution of power than what you're suggesting. I think. Um, also we would build it from the ground up. So it would already necessarily be what the people in that are involved and that directly affect it wanted it to be right. Um, so we don't even need these state jurisdictions. We just, we'll just do what you're saying. We'll just build our own though. Does that make sense? What do you think of that? If it can be done, I, um, I definitely agree. Like, if someone can like create like anarchism in real life, it should always be supported over any kind of like, like, you know, middle of the road, like, you know, working towards like, if you can do it, do it, like get it. And it should have all the support of every anarchist in the world, uh, financially, morally, etc. What I'm saying is I think the best road to a global anarchy, to destroying the empires that exist now, is this certain thing. And I think that that will remove a huge threat to like the development of anarchism and the development of like 
people being able to do what they want without being terrorized by states. So okay. I, 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 I totally agree with you. Like, on a moral sense, it has to, it's always has to be the, the secession of the individual. But all I'm saying is my strategy is, like, it, that's just how I just see it that I, the way I see it is that let's get to microstates and then we can kill the microstate rather than taking on the whole empire. Yeah, and so my idea of like involving concepts of national liberal nationalism or you know nations or kinship groups in general, um, I think it's acceptable if we. Um, I mean, I think it's not like it's not like anathema to my thinking. I'm not really so much of like the a left market anarchy. I'm not. I don't even really consider myself an, an anarchist in the traditional sense. Um, but I, I do. I think we should look at this in this in the lens of both postmodernism and also pre-modernism that obviously like na nations the concept of nations um big and small are is like obviously social construct from the postmodernist sense and they're also basically a social construct in the pre-modern sense like they come out of they, they came out of you know mostly the great nations of Europe, the, the 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 nation, the French nation, the German nation, the Italian nation, are complete constructs of modernity. They're, they're just kind of invented. The Swedish nation too, yeah. Oh, I'm exactly. sure. I'm sure. So, if we can acknowledge that the whole all nations, where you draw the bounds and what you what's the uh, thing these people have in common, besides in many cases just the borders of I. A state, but it, even when there's there is a core group, where how you define that group and what su sub variants and what you know local cultures and dialects were squashed to, to create this nation identity um, in in early modernity. Um, in many cases, like if we if we I decided that the concept of nations are all arbitrary anyway from from the pre and postmodern sense, then fine just like you can you can you can, you can come up with groups um and if you're going to come up with groups on a grassroots level they're going to be small smaller and more decentralized obviously because if, if it's going to be if it's going to be genuine and grass up grassroots and i think culture must be to be effective it must be you know bottom up um then i think that's fine i think the whole idea and this is what I, my first thought about when you said you wanted to come on this topic is like if we can decide that, that these nations that nations nationhood and everything are completely arbitrary um in every sense then fine if it can be if it can be bottom up and grassroots then make that let that be your basis yeah i mean yeah i mean really like what this really boils down to is do you hate the state more than you hate particularism or whatever like i think the state is the thing that makes these things bad i think the state is the thing that makes nationalism bad so if you take that out if you defang the state of empire of you know aggressive action if you and i'm not not to say that necessarily like these things have to survive real anarchism which I don't think they do. 
I, I would say they have to go up in the market of ideas or whatever, or, you know, like the market. Like does particularism, does parochialism survive in open market, right? There's, I mean, there's certainly some right libertarians think they do. I am not sure that they do. I know that a lot of mm -hmm. left-wing market anarchists don't think they do at all. But I, I think, I mean, I think that's, you know, something worth like exploring. And when it happens, I mean, this is the least of our problems, right? Yeah. Like what, what we, what we are doing is destroying coercion. If we destroy coercion, if we can really make a like a society without force then everything else is just oops everything else is just um just seeing like what happens when like people are really free yeah i i agree i do think that um freedom and free markets absolutely act as a counteracting mechanism to like parochialism and conservatism just in the sense of like the opposite of dynamism so uh no so that's yeah so i do but i i think of that as an argument kind of like you're, you're saying that if you do support the pan-secessionism even when it is less liberal or not like a a um you know a movement that centers liberalism and liberal values um that it the overall dynamic of of kind of this pan-secessionism that, that you're describing does have this counteracting mechanism of like um freedom free markets and uh, sort of sort of a cosmopolitanism that forms from that so yeah i don't think you'd, you'd get i don't think you'd get what um and I, i've always hated this critique i really you know i don't think you'd get what some people described as oh oh that's just um decentralized fascism i mean i don't think you get a preponderance of quote-unquote decentralized fascism i i think it's it's worth pointing out that there like as like there is no fascist decent because i mean and you know this but like let's just make it clear like fascism is not for decentralization like there is like yeah like they, they're diametrically opposed ideologies and if you know okay like uh orania in uh south africa right they're born like ethno-nationalists right but to call them fascists when they literally just want like a tiny little space where it's like like oh you know we i mean it's it's really just like the amish when you take it out of like the People contextualize it in the the history of, um, you know, apartheid, which I mean, was bad. Like apartheid is bad, and there was also like Afrikaner extremists that wanted to, like over, like violently overthrow, you know, the South African government once it became anti-apartheid, but. These specific guys, like Nelson Mandela, went to their like uh, community, and they were like, and he said they were 
good. They were, you know, they were they were not opposed to, you know, whatever post-apartheid South Africa. Like this is the thing. Like really, like fascists want imperialism. They want large states. They don't care about little tiny polities that want to do what do their own thing it's inherently anti-fascist so yeah fascism is quite literally the merger of the individual identity with the nation state right so i i agree with you they, they would much rather a large centralized state a, a you know the corporate body um um, where all you know the large population is all dancing in rhythm to the same drum. Now, most of the fascists were also ethno-nationalists, and that's awful for its own reasons. I have zero love for any of that. But it does not you can be ethno-nationalist without being um, a fascist. A fascist is a, it's a specific uh, political economy, right? It it says. It doesn't necessarily equate to um, a specific. Uh, no, I mean it does necessarily equate to a specific political political economy. Ethno nationalism does not necessarily do that uh, in terms of what the economy looks like or what the structure of the nation state um, is or any of those things. They're not. They're related, but not the same, right? Um, so I, while I'm also not a fan of like weird ethno-nationalist small communities or whatever, that's also not my jam. But um, no, you're right in the sense that it's not decentralized fascism. Although I think there is, uh, I think there is a relationship there, but they're not the same. No, I've I've always had had a long-standing position that I would not sacrifice the possibility of like any any sort of liberation, any sort of devolution of power, any sort of things, anything along the line, the categories that we're talking about here, just because like there might be a racist community or multiple ones. I don't think that, and I, I, don't, I, I frankly, I think that would be in. This, I mean, in today's culture, in a slim minority. I mean, I think maybe. And I don't think it would have been generally at any point in history as, as racism is kind of a thing that's, that's common, is going, has come at a certain time, not too far into recent past and is going. And, you know, and not that there would be any, any sort of idea that is going to be worth, I think, throwing out the ideas of, of decentralization or devolution or, or, or liberation. I, you know, just I think I think the, I think the overall effects will be net in the good direction. So I would not like torpedo the idea because of the possibility of, you know, something nasty going on in some corner, some territory. I mean, it's like it's like every other argument against, um, you know, lessening the power of the state. Like, yeah, how do you? What if there's child abuse? Well, there's child abuse now, and y y you know, we may. It's a ongoing societal problem perhaps but it's not something you know yes i cannot make the guarantee that so and so won't occur under a libertarian uh, governance structure under anarchism etc etc but like neither can authoritarians well but penguin you have to admit that politicians are much less likely to uh molest and rape children than the average population 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think also, yeah, I think, yeah, we can certainly kneecap the, uh, the concept of, of politician as a career path by actually eliminating the little, the, the place that they plug themselves into in society and the, 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 the role, I guess, in society that they take on for themselves. And we might even see, see politician as being like a personality type or like a, a social role. And, um, I think, I think, I think the majority, the, I think most everybody listening to this podcast would like that class of people to kind of just uh, go away and not have a place to, 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 um, be who they are. Yeah, they could be, you know, club promoters or whatever. Yeah, put the skills to use somewhere more peaceful. So are there any um, any uh, secessionist movements that you're excited about? I mean, what do you think of, like, uh, Rojava? Or what do you think of, um, well, let's go to the past a little bit, sort of the... Uh, the Black Panthers and the the Black nationalism surrounding that. Um, is there or is there anything else you're you're kind of excited about? I know that you said you um, only kind of just uh, or or one of one of you guys uh, like kind of just uh, breeze through our uh, video inventory, but we have videos on both of these movements. Um, right on. I would I would say. I'm a little, uh, I'll give the bad news first. I'm a little skeptical of the, both the scale and the, uh, how do I put this? Uh, the, the commitment of black nationalists in the United States. I wish it was as, as strong as it was in the 1960s. Um, the not fucking around coalition. That's the big one right now. And uh, unfortunately its leader was jailed actually uh, protesting um, the Breonna Taylor uh, verdict. Mm -hmm. So, uh, oh, well, hope, hopefully like th that movement, which I think is totally, well, again, not, not libertarian, but one against the American empire, but two, I mean, specifically because of like its nature is like anti, anti-American judicial system, which is good. Um, I think, yeah, uh, I, I hope it, you know, grows by leaps and bounds. Um, certainly better than the, the quote unquote BLM like centralized uh whatever authority which is uh, seems to me at least social democrat or whatever like if the not fucking around coalition becomes like the heart of uh like black resistance to like state tyranny I think that will be a unambiguously good thing um i'm sorry what, what was the other one that you uh you brought up rojava and uh yes yes, yeah. yes 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 uh yeah rojava uh that we have a, a, a video on it although it's quite old now it's like a year and a half because 
I mean, Wow has been going on for so long. Um, the only thing I will really say is I hope that Iraqi Kurdistan is integrated in Rojava in the near future. Um, they have a they have a um, alliance slash truce with uh, Assad. I apparently they uh, Turkey is attacking them, which is bad. Although also like. Iraqi Kurdistan. I'm, the politics are very complicated. I hope Rojava continues to exist. It's a good thing. It's unironically like I will. I'll, I'll say something about anarcho-communism. I would say anarcho-communism, as it exists in a lot of the world, is anti-liberal. And the people don't understand pluralism existing, like people people that disagree with them existing in like separate polities. But Rojava specifically was founded with Bookchinism. Bookchin was someone in the anarcho-communist tradition that's singularly understood that there needed to be pluralism yeah, so bookchin yeah. is a, a democratic confederalist he started so he started out as an anarcho-communist and then later moved more into yes what you're saying like a pluralist but that's where a lot of the ideas of municipalism and democratic confederalism kind of come from he's been uh it, 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 they're they're actually okay with uh, markets, but it's much more of a sort of a, a distributivist um, and sort of localist style of mar markets. Exactly. Like, yeah, I I really I, I admire Bookchin and I admire uh, the people that follow Bookchin, and that includes the Kurdish, uh, whatever the what do they call themselves the the revolutionary government or whatever. Yeah, the YPG and PKK. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they get like there's no taxes. There's no taxes in Rojava. There's like it that like I mean I'm sure it has problems with governance or whatever, like everywhere does, but it is extremely laudable. Like Brian Kaplan, for example, wrote, wrote the, the anarcho status of Spain on the anarcho syndicalists rule in Catalonia, right? And they really did like rule like a state. Wahava, on the other hand, does not rule like a state. There's voluntary for it, just like Magnovia. I mean, probably even better because, like, unlike, unlike Makno, I mean, like, you know, the municipal municipalism uh, allows for things like market processes, you know, money, uh, it, you know, like inter-community economies and all that. Yeah, I mean, Roja, like, if every everywhere was like Rojava, things would be so much better. Even as like a right libertarian, like I think like 
Marcus should be more robust or whatever. Like that would, but that would be my like complaint living in Wahhaba. Not that like people are like starving or being like a mass murder because that doesn't happen in Rojava. Doesn't happen in um, there's there's like a specific uh, like ideology. It's like what is it like libertarian municipalism? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that that that's a good term for it. Yep, that's what it's usually called. Um, some people also call it democratic confederalism, which is a slightly that's different right. Thing. You know what that that was what I was looking for. But yeah, but like that that like thing like if the world was a democratic confederalism like i would be so much happier okay and this is an inherently like decentralized and inherently this is you you're you're onto something here so this is an inherently decentralized and inherently localist type of project just the way we were talking about like um carl hess this idea this is a very central to what we talk about actually i do consider carl hess's Total, total ideas like his prescriptions to be basically like a libertarian municipalism and those two ideas in this general milieu what we're talking about is what well, one thing i mean is it totally overwraps with like the how i say is like good or real anarcho-capitalism keep in mind Hess is one of the first people if not like the first person one of the first three people i think to use the term anarcho-capitalism in writing and he always called himself that and um most people reading his books would not identified that with kind of necessarily the popular or vulgar notion of anarcho-capitalism. So um, he's really kind of, that's one of the reasons why I've come around on the term. So I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right, I'm right there with you. And I think you are right there with Hess. And then if you, if you look at even maybe there's maybe a more left or right perspective on these ideas, but something along the lines of a confederalism, like, okay, there, here's something that they do in Rashaba. They have like, it's like a openly feminist governing a democratic government structure where like women have like twice to vote a man or something like that. And that's the, that's their thing. Well, that's their thing. And you might have quite the opposite somewhere else. And yeah, people might not like that either, but, um, you know, it's, you know, let a thousand flowers, a thousand flowers bloom. Wait, wait, wait. That's the spring combinations, right? Seen, but, have you, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wait, yeah. I actually wanted to ask, like, have you ever seen, like, you've l listened to any of my videos or whatever? I haven't yet. No, about that. Oh, my God. Least, you know, know, our out. tagline is literally let a thousand flowers bloom. I might have I seen that somewhere, or maybe it's just so <laughs> obviously fitting. So obviously fitting to the Yeah, literally every time, about. like, the end of every... Well, it's the springtime of nations, so I don't know if I just made that connection in my head automatically, but yeah, it's the springtime, the flowers bloom, yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. um, um, actually, I've had a Rojava video queued up on YouTube that I've never gotten around to watching, but um, I totally, if you have one, um, I'm, as much as I've read tweets about it, I am drastically uninformed of, about Rojava, except for stuff that I've heard in podcasts, although I've heard a podcast with like a guy that was from there and people that have I know people that have fought in the uh, with the Kurds. Nonetheless, like it's super. There's a reason why that movement in particular is super, super important to in kind of the space, the the general milieu of like like my, my Twitter feed. Basically, it's it's it's, it's I, up there. I it's think, one. I think it's also it's the closest like, thing. It, it's it's worth saying that like I mean, 
I feel like, you know, like social anarchists have kind of like, you know, they've made it like, and of course, like bookchinism, whatever you can say about it, it's certainly part of the uh, social anarchist milieu, but like uh, individualist anarchists can certainly look at it as part of their thing too because that's part of uh, book chinism is it's a synthesis between uh individualism and social anarchism so like i think there's there there's a lot of voices on like the the left that are just saying like rohavra is where every like everyone could be if we just accept communism or whatever but i think my our, our specific uh video is like this is this is what anarchism can look like because of the high pluralism it's just like people you know the yazidis the there's arabs involved there's turkmen there's all kinds of uh ethnic groups they're all together because they really like villages can just be like associate with each other, right? And trade with each other in this like like governance structure. It's not a state. It's you know, it's a it's a way of conducting trade, etc., defense, all that. All right. Well, we gotta start. We gotta basically wrap it up. Um, all right. Later. Wait. Quick fun fact. Wait. Okay. Quick fun fact. The reason that the women are uh, overrepresented in the military in Rojava is because they were fighting ISIS in Al-Nusra. And uh, at least this is what I read. Who knows? Every, you know, everyone lies everywhere. But apparently, you know, ISIS and uh, Al-Nusra, they, they don't like getting killed by women. They really don't like getting. They they feel that they um, are die dishonorably that way, and maybe Penguin, you could speak to this in some way. But they feel it's not like they're dying a warrior's death by getting killed by a woman. So they fear actually even engaging with the Kurds many of the times because they have such a significant women, uh, uh, military uh, women in the military force. Yeah, I have I have I have no idea if that's true, but I know that they um, the Kurds were famous even before for uh, for having no no they have they actually do have a they they've long had a, a strongly and like like I don't know the words de jour but like a de jour basically feminist government structure. So they've 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 they give the women this is long standing. They give women twice the votes for whatever theory they have about fem feminism and. Um, they've always tried to have like women be as just, I mean, this is pretty unique for any culture on the world. Just uh, women have just as much a responsibility. I don't know if it's 50, if it's 50, 50 or if it, whatever it was, but basically just as much responsibility for defense as men, which is typically in most societies, even if it's open to women, it's typically considered a mere responsibility. So, um, and that could be out of, originally out of necessity, of course, but um you, you, you see a lot of countries that have like conscription and stuff, but uh, yeah, no. From what I understand, like they that's like built into their government structure, governance structure, the equivalent of like constitutionally. You know, so that's that's a, it's a very interesting concept, and you know, like I said, it's a, it's one way of doing things for sure. Well, I'm um, in the house, so my my girls know how to 
handle themselves as well for the same reasons. So, <laughs> um, I, I actually just, I just, just a quick question. Um, to clarify, you, it's it, your belief is that it's a um, Kurdish tradition, not something that came out. Uh, for example, like uh, the the whatever left wing nationalism of the PKK. That's like the women. No, no, no. I think I think it predates the, yeah, no, but it predates the the, the recent Syrian war. It 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 does come out of the left wing tradition, but I think it predates. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, it predates the recent stuff. Um, I think it's at least been going on for decades. I believe. Right. So it it doesn't have to do with like yeah, like women being like whatever, like ghost soldiers that will just like scare. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. There might be. I mean, there might be some. Some. I'm sure that's actually true as far as what Sex said, as far as actually what those guys thought. But they, yeah, they've they've been doing that for a long time. They've been, I think, pretty famous. It's just, uh, I don't think the Kurds had as much publicity. Like I certainly rarely heard about them before. Uh, but also before the, the recent the ISIS conflict, I wasn't really, I wasn't on Twitter and I wasn't looking at libertarian stuff and I wasn't looking at the left-wing and anarchist thought either so I, I really can't tell you exactly how much i would have ever cared about the, the kurds um but yeah anyways i uh, gotta wrap it up um what uh where can we that people find your content i know you're you're primarily a creator on youtube um I, I i see you post a lot on twitter um good interesting interesting niche you've carved out i think ideologically but um yeah where can people find your content yeah um Charles Henry Lee is our main Twitter account. Springtime of Nations. Google Springtime of Nations on YouTube. Uh, we have a site. We have springtimeofnations.org. We, uh, the big thing of that is just uh, putting up transcripts of our videos. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's about it. Uh, I'm Adrian Shepard. I mean, may or may not want to follow me i if you like nick mullen from come town's humor you may like mine but uh you two I, both you two I, both I, grew on me at the same time so i it was it took a while but yeah yeah i i would not say like uh it's a um yeah it's a it's a choir taste maybe um but i, I when i post for, as asian shepherd i don't rip represent um spring and nations charles henry lee that's where you should go if you want to get real spring and nations content um other than that yeah i think we're good well thanks for coming on man um this has been a, a good conversation i enjoyed our our back and forth um i think i hopefully we both got a lot out of this i know i did and um hopefully yeah. the audience did as well so um, yeah, I welcome you back on any time, man. This was a good conversation. Great. It was it, a pleasure. It was right up our alley. I'm, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, we kind of uh, added to our collection of kind of thinkers that kind of are in our in our milieu and kind of expanded our milieu a little bit. So maybe, you know, it's food for thought for our listeners. And, yeah, we should definitely come back and you can definitely come back and talk anytime it's i'm sure endless amount of topics and examples and stuff we can talk about and debate great yeah 
Right on. Uh, well, everybody be excellent to each other and um, yep. uh, follow us on, on Twitter at Agora underscore pod. Agora underscore pod, yeah. And we have uh, Sec also moderates a bunch of uh, channels, our Telegram channel, where we have a Telegram feed. Um, you can just talk also with our fans on the other Telegram channel. And I, Sec, do we still have a Discord? Yeah. Gora, the Gora the podcast on Discord and Telegram. Hell yeah, dude. All right. Peace out, everyone. Peace. I want